0: Hello there, this is Laura Camacho of the Speak Up podcast, where we talk about conversations that are making changes, we talk about culture, we talk about interesting topics, and today we have a guest named Mr. Robin Hill, who is in a village called Edgeworth in the Manchester area of England, for any of you Anglophiles out there. Robin has a company, he's all about emotional intelligence and his company is called EI for Change, which I really like that he uh, is into the application, he's solving problems, he's not a theoretical master, he may be, but he's about the application of emotional intelligence how do we solve problems how do we work better how do we communicate more effectively in fact he's taught over a hundred thousand people that's a lot that's that's a very large small town of people that if they could all be in one city it would be like the most emotionally intelligent area on earth i bet so welcome Robin and um, please start off and tell us like how you got into this being the the master of emotional intelligence for change.
1: Yeah great thank you Laura. Uh, The journey that I went on with regards to emotional intelligence started when I started my work career many many years ago last century and I worked in the pharmaceutical industry in sales And I was working in the London area and eventually moved from pure GP selling into hospital selling, which is a very, very interesting role because there I am as a a young man in my late 20s, early 30s, going in and selling to eminent surgeons and clinicians on the world stage. Now, how does one sell to them? and one uses a combination of inquiry and asking questions and supporting and influencing and persuading. And at the time, I was very interested in the fact that some of the doctors were very keen to speak to me and very keen to engage with me, and some doctors had no time for me at all. When they were rotating around doing different jobs, The only thing that would change within the application of the job was the individual, the person themselves. So the environment was very much the same. Some people were incredibly stressed by it and some took it very much in their stride. And I didn't know what it was. Didn't know what it was. And um, It wasn't until Daniel Goldman published his book in the mid-90s around Emotional Intelligence, I suddenly realized that's the answer. It's the way in which people are engaging with the world through their emotions. You may have very bright, very intelligent doctors, but it's not the intelligence which drives their engagement with people. And some of those doctors enjoyed having interactions with other people, and some of them just didn't. And the difference really was down to the way in which they were engaging within their role. After a few years, my role changed. I moved from London up to the northwest of England to take up a leadership and management role. And after a few years, that role was made redundant. So I moved into clinical research, helping people to develop and grow their careers. And after a few years, that role was made redundant. And I oh, know, there's a pattern happening here. <laughs> but uh, what I, I did is I, I really focused on what interested me, which was people development, helping people grow, helping people to understand themselves better. And so I set up my company, EI for Change. That was well over a decade ago. And I've just been concentrating solely on how can I help people and how can I help them to make a difference? So how can I help them to be the best version of who they are? That's, and how can I help them use their emotional intelligence?
0: That sound, that's so good. And that's a, such a key quality uh, to have that intelligence. So why don't you paint us a picture of, say, two maybe hypothetical senior executives. And how does that emotional, like, what does that look like? Because a lot of times people bring problems, but they don't recognize, they don't have the tools to say, oh, that's an emotional intelligence problem. They think that this person doesn't like them or that they're a jerk or... So why don't you you know paint me a picture of like high versus low emotional intelligence in a leader?
1: Sure, um, let's start by saying that emotional intelligence is not associated at all with not really correlated with cognitive intelligence so you can be incredibly bright but not have high levels of emotional intelligence and by the same token you might not be very bright but you have high levels of emotional intelligence and and any mixture of that in between so somebody with high emotional intelligence is somebody who is able to engage and work with people. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter what the problem is. They have the time, they make the time to sit down and understand the issue, understand it from a a people person perspective. And they help people to generate their own solutions with the right level of support. Now, they've got to gauge for themselves whether they coach the person or whether the person is actually asking them for help and asking them for information and knowledge. Because um, there's no point in coaching somebody if they just do not have the answer, if they are completely stuck. At some point, you need to educate the person and you need to mentor them, not necessarily coach them. And a good person with high emotional intelligence will be able to, to gauge that. Now, this emotional intelligence is not easy. It is one of the hardest things to master and to develop and to grow with. Now, somebody with low emotional intelligence, and we see a lot of this in the senior executives, in companies and in organizations, just tell people what to do. They're angry. They boss people around. They don't really care about the individual. Just go away and do what I tell you to. Just get the results. I'm not interested in how you do it. They operate by FIFO management. Uh, fit in or F off. Uh, <laughs> they, it's a case of it's my way or the highway. And you've heard all these, all of these expressions. They are not emotionally intelligent. What the, again, a, a cliche to use is the fact that an organization's most expensive resources is people. Well, that's true. Organizations are really a network of people. So, how do you get the people fitting together, engaging together, working together, and delivering good quality experience through what that organization, what that company works with, and, and Manufactures or sells or services.
0: Yes. Well, your description of the low EQ senior executive sounds like what I've heard some people describe as a toxic leader or toxic person, just yes. really hard to work with. So, why does why do we have so many of them across the world? I guess in leadership positions
1: because they get results. Mm-hmm. And I think the bottom line is that they do get results and a lot of organizations realize that these toxic individuals do exist, but to a certain extent, they don't care as long as they're getting the results. Now, if they were to think of it in a different way, if we were to engage our people and create the right environment, it might take a lot longer, but we're going to have a much more sustainable business, a happier business. A much more profitable business and we will have a much more resilient business and we're finding certainly if I look at it from a United Kingdom perspective that those businesses which have high levels of emotional intelligence and engaged people are being more successful through the pandemic than those that aren't.
0: Oh, that's a good observation very timely i I hadn't thought of that so an emotionally intelligent person is able to communicate more effectively while working from home and to read signals and ask better questions i'm guessing Um,
1: it's not a guess it's it's an absolute that's the way to do it it's Mm -hmm. the quality of the question Mm -hmm. that is important and uh i think you've just summed it up laura perfectly
0: <laughs> oh good well i i do that that's why i have my um content is always very condensed uh, but, but so let's talk about how do you suss out or in, if you are interviewing someone I, I am talking to a lot of people who are either interviewing or being interviewed of course, all through video not face to face in person and everybody's on their best behavior. So what are some ways to test a person's emotional intelligence in the interview setting?
1: Well, the interview setting, people have to realize that it it's really is a very unnatural dialogue that you're having with somebody. Somebody is being asked to justify themselves in an interview process. Now, when we're being asked to justify ourselves, we react in an emotional manner to it. And we're not necessarily giving the best quality answers because we're not actually in a position where we're justifying ourselves on a day-to-day basis. So it's how do you justify yourself without becoming defensive? And particularly if you have a job interviewer who is very probing, and not particularly empathetic. Uh, to go back and backtrack to your original question, how do you really assess somebody's emotional intelligence, the best way to do it is to use the quality psychometric and there are many very good, very reliable, very valid psychometrics that are available on the market but but, but 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 they must be used by a qualified psychometrician, somebody who's been trained in the use of these instruments, because more often than not, people will buy one of these instruments, use it in a job interview, look at the person's weaknesses, throw them at, uh, at the person during the job interview, get them to justify themselves, and then just say, "Oh well, we don't really want you," <laughs> and the person who's Completed the psychometric ethically should have some good quality feedback just to find out whether the psychometric is a true reflection of the person. It probably is, but it needs interpreting and it needs interpreting appropriately. Going back to my story and going Mm -hmm. back to emotional intelligence and my journey with emotional intelligence, I learnt over the years that there was something. In my personality that psychometrics were picking up and it was causing me severe problems in job interviews and i didn't know what it was and it, it got me
0: <laughs> tell us what was it yeah, I, I will do i will do <laughs> what what
1: happened was i i then decided in terms of working with people and helping people to develop and working in the field of emotional intelligence that i needed to Find some way of assessing people's personality, their behavior, their traits. So I went and uh, became trained in using a number of different psychometrics. I use type, I use trait, I use emotional intelligence, I use behavioral assessments. And in all of these assessments, I have a very, very high level of resilience, of calmness. A very very low level of neuroticism to the point where uh, I'm an outlier and this is picked up in all the um, assessments that I've ever done and I'm well aware of it well aware of it I am incredibly calm and very collected in most circumstances I might not feel it but I project that out to people and obviously, people pick up on it in the job interview and think, "Oh, yes, this is exactly what we 're seeing in terms of the documentary. Um, one of the downsides to that particular trait is that i can be I can be perceived as not caring, not really interested, uh, just simply because i 'm too calm i 'm too laid back too relaxed. Well, Laura, if there is something that I just do not care about, I really am." Not interested and it's quite true but just looking at that scale on on its own is pointless because you've got to look at the blend of all the other traits and characteristics if I'm enthused about something I won't be bouncing off the walls going yeah this is fantastic because that's not me but what I will do is motivate and enthuse and encourage and support people and support myself in terms of delivering the outcomes but it might not look like what the company or that particular manager or that particular leader is looking for in the person that they want in their team. Well, That's Laura, it's, it's their loss.
0: <laughs> of course it was. Of course <laughs> it is. You dumb people, you just looked over the best candidate, but to their loss.
1: One's got to believe that. One's of got course. to believe that.
0: Of course. It was not, well, I could say it was not a good fit. Yeah,
1: no, uh, no, that's right.
0: And and, uh, I think everybody can relate. Although there are some, and there are some people who are really good at interviewing. Oh, yes. And, I, you know, I don't, I was not one of those people either. So that's how I got into the communication business is being a bad interviewer. But I, I find that fascinating that the calm was per perceived as not caring. As an introvert, I know that people who economize on, in their words, in their language, are perceived as snobbish or um, disdainful when they're just being quiet. So it's, a, it's kind of a unconscious bias, if you will, against Eesh. a certain po- personality type.
1: It is, and an interviewing is managing perception because mm-hmm. you've only got a very short snapshot of that particular mm-hmm. individual based upon what you read on the resume, what you've heard, and what you pick up when you're interacting with that person over a, a period of about an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a true reflection?
0: Right, Not really. right. Not really? Not really. It's a crapshoot, I think. I want to ask you, I, I, I was just coaching someone this morning, And this situation has happened before, but this was my first session with this young lady who was dealing, she's in a large tech company, you know, one of the biggies, and she works with a very intelligent, I'm so glad you pointed out the difference between IQ and EQ. So this person is probably off the charts IQ, but really low EQ, but she didn't see it that way. What she saw was that he was mean, he was disrespecting her, he um, wasn't communicating. He wasn't explaining things. And how would you, I mean, what are your options when it's not the person that you have authority over, but you are supposed to work with someone who, uh, is really has low EQ, emotional intelligence, and therefore uh, isn't connecting, isn't picking up signals, isn't giving you... You know, positive feedback. What, what, what are you? What would you say to somebody in that
1: situation? Well, firstly, Laura, in this situation with IQ, IQ mm-hmm. intelligence quotient, it can't be changed after the late teens. It's kind of fixed at around the age of seventeen. So the IQ we had in our, our late teens is the IQ that we've got all the way through to retirement and beyond. However, emotional intelligence can be developed and people grow in their emotional intelligence and it peaks about the age of 70. So, in the workplace environment, we have many, many opportunities to grow and develop our emotional intelligence. But the development of emotional intelligence must come from within. It must come from that person's desire to want to grow and develop their emotional intelligence. Unfortunately, you can't give your coachee that desire. Um, And in those sort of circumstances, the the quality of the questions you're asking as a coach is important to open up that person to change their perspective. Uh, You know this situation with your low emotionally intelligent manager better than I do. What do you think he needs and how can you go about providing that need? Emotionally, you won't want to. You will say, he should adapt around me. But you're not going to be able to change him. Mm -hmm. The only thing you can change is yourself. And through making that change you will then grow and develop that relationship. This is very hard because the desire has got to come from within. And they'll go away and they'll try something and it doesn't work. And they'll go back to blaming anybody and everybody else rather than themselves saying, look, I made a tiny little chink in terms of moving that relationship forward. Let's carry on chipping away at it by making subtle changes here and there. Put them in control. They're in control of managing that relationship. And it's up to them to manage it in the most effective way. Because if they don't, you can't do it for them. The Absolutely. manager's not gonna do it.
0: Right. And and I mean, I'm I'm glad to hear you <laughs> that's uh that was the premise that I started with is that you can't change other people, you can only change yourself um but i i told her if you don't learn to manage it with this person (laughs) there's like 20 more (laughs) at around the corner they're everywhere so (laughs) so you you might as well take this guy and learn some because um they're they're everywhere and then they're in the academy the healthcare. i'm sure you saw that in pharma they're um, in business so it's just
1: i wouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, be doing, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I didn't have some lousy, awful managers who managed me over the years. <laughs> and I learned from them uh, the wrong things that they were trying to teach me. Mm-hmm.
0: And I've had some really good managers and I've learned from them the right things
1: that they were trying to teach me. So being able to contrast and compare is something that I can look back with a degree of hindsight and say yes yeah, they were awful managers but boy did i learn some good stuff!" yes
0: very true well I, I um you know something that you said earlier in our ch- conversation today about the current situation and about i want to know about the stress using emotional intelligence to manage stress because i feel like especially here in the united states with the, the elections are what 13 days away we cannot wait to have this behind us but it's still not it's still in front and we have the elections and we have the pandemic we have jobs crisis we have you know working from home which for some of us is not a problem for other people it is problematic or it just brings up you know different questions ways of being uh, rated at your job your performance review so how can we use emotional intelligence to manage this stress better
1: well, let me bring in another concept which is closely aligned to managing stress and closely aligned to emotional intelligence and that is this concept of mindfulness okay so mindfulness is not all about sitting in the corner cross-legged with a joystick going okay. on. uh mindfulness is being very aware of what's going on in the present moment and being focused on the present moment now you and i can't do anything about the election the pandemic the jobs crisis we can't do anything about the environments that we're finding ourselves in the only thing that we can manage in this process is ourselves so what has gone before and what will be in the future we can only do anything about that in this particular present moment and the present moment is in flux because when we started talking about present moments, that's gone. We're in another present moment. So how do you manage yourself in a mindful manner in the present moment? And a lot of people will be thinking that their thoughts are who they are, what they are, and it's their thoughts that drive them, or it's their emotions that drive their thoughts, and it's their emotions that are them. No, we've got to disassociate ourselves from our thoughts and our thinking. We've got to disassociate ourselves from our emotions and our feelings, and we've just got to find that space in between. And we do that in a mindful way, and the best way to do that is to concentrate on our breath um, and to follow our breathing cycle of when we breathe in, hold, breathe out. and Breathe out over a longer period of time than when we breathe in, hold, and then repeat the cycle. Now concentrating on that in moments of quiet will allow us to make better decisions when we have to make decisions
0: good i'm I can we all need to make better decisions clearly and and so the mindfulness is a way to just kind of like reset our brain so it just flows yes. better right and, and we and we don't perceive so much our, our perceptions are probably more uh, aligned with reality and not um uh, so scary maybe I, yeah, I like so that.
1: And also just to recognize that as we are there in the space, whether we are officially meditating or not, um, our thoughts will flow in and flow out again, and our emotions will change in that process. And The important thing is to recognize it as an observer and not to put any judgments on it. And just to really kind of be very much in that present moment. Now, there are far better people than I who have got this capability to meditate in a mindful way. And people will spend a lifetime pursuing it. And those that are really, really good at it are the Eastern mystics, the the Buddhists, who spend a lifetime doing nothing but getting that right. And they have a calmness and a platitude, a, a placid nature, Way beyond what I have, with all my personality traits and my low levels of neuroticism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: <laughs> right. Well, there's also something to be said for running a business and feeding a family, and all that, yeah. all that yeah. too, kind of takes yeah. away from the meditation time. But uh, definitely, managing our minds is just so important. I, I want to flip to my favorite topic. You know, conversations. How can we use emotional intelligence? How does that improve the quality of our conversations?
1: Well, there are a number of components of emotional intelligence Um, that we've been talking very much about. What goes on in our inner world? Our inner world of self-awareness and our inner world of uh, feelings and emotions and how we manage them. We've talked about motivation. The other important thing is how do we engage in the outer world and how do we engage with other people in the outer world, um, in small groups, in large teams, or on a one-to-one basis. And the way in which we do that is using other pillars of emotional intelligence. And one of the key pillars is empathy. And the other pillar is the social skills. It's how do we engage with people, utilizing our social skills. How do we Utilize our motivation. How do we motivate, influence, and persuade? How do we sell to other people? And how do we work with them in an empathetic manner, utilizing the emotions that they're experiencing?
0: I see. So it's a matter of tuning in to what the other person is feeling, and then you're able to communicate better?
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the core components of empathy, which everybody talks about, but is an incredibly difficult thing to do, and that's to listen.
0: Oh, it is hard.
1: <laughs> I'm that, actually, tell us,
0: tell, us a tr- tell us a hack to listen better.
1: Uh, well, I, I wouldn't wish this hack <laughs> upon anybody, but I am very fortunate in that I am actually mildly to moderately deaf. I wear hearing aids um, and this is the reason why I've got headgear on so I can hear you properly rather than having my hearing yeah. aids uh, and that doesn't work on a podcast does it because people can't, can't see me but anyhow uh, yeah I it transpires that I lost my hearing in my early 20s and I didn't wasn't aware of it uh, I have a dearly beloved partner who I've been married to for almost 40 years and she would continually <laughs> nagging at me you're deaf you're deaf you're deaf you're deaf no, no I'm not and um, a few years ago I went down to the doctor for something I can't remember what it was and at the time I said to him oh I, my wife told me to mention that I'm deaf And he looked through the notes. He said, oh, you mentioned it a few years ago when you were in the surgery. I think we ought to go and get it investigated. I I thought to myself, no, that's the wrong answer. The the right answer is go away, Mr. Hills, and tell your (laughs) wife to uh, start start listening. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Anyhow, the the long and the short of it is I went along for an MRI scan, and I went for all the tests. And uh, the the consultant was just very confused. He said, "I, I can't work out what's going wrong there is there is nothing here to indicate that there's anything serious i think you've lost your hearing years ago and in that time obviously because i'm not hearing people properly i'm having to learn compensating mechanisms so what i'm doing is i'm actually tuning into people's facial expressions and i'm tuning into their emotions and I'm empathizing with them at a much, much deeper level without being aware of the fact that I needed to do it. So people yes. are, will say to me, you're very good at listening. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But, I, you know, these are learnt behaviors that make me the man that I am today. Now, I, I happily wear my hearing aids when I need to and I'm quite proud of the fact that I wear them and I don't hide or shirk away from the fact. So to answer your question, in order to listen better, you need to learn to empathize better and pick up on some of these subtle signals that people are giving away in their facial expressions, the way in which they're holding the body, their tonality, the way in which they're using their eyes. They all give us very, very subtle clues and they will help us to pick up on undercurrents behind the words that are being used.
0: Oh, that's so true, and I always think that if you can connect with a person's emotion, then the content part of the communication goes so much better. When you're getting an accurate read of whether they're angry or frustrated or just introverted, and or yeah. you know, to, to to test that, that's so uh, interesting and so fascinating about your deafness. And given your vocation of teaching emotional intelligence, that's really remarkable.
1: Well, they're all combined in a very, very, very strange way in order to get me to this point. And so it's a case of going back to, well, what can I do in the present moment in order to make the difference?
0: Yes, Uh, I love that. Well, on that question, I like to ask people, how do you, you know what keeps you inspired how do you stay inspired especially staying at home or now maybe you know for some people that's actually better uh, what what inspires you what keeps you moving and doing all the things you do
1: well i think the important thing is just to recognize the the importance of having breaks away from work and having breaks away from stressful situations than to learn how to have some me time and to actually utilize that in an appropriate way now what works for me isn't going to work for you laura and what works for you isn't going to work for me and and it's right for everybody you need to find what that is now some people will sit and watch the television some people will uh, enjoy sports or going out with their friends it just depends i actually n- i do not have an introversion preference i have an extroversion preference so to a certain extent as, uh, being at home doesn't fuel that but i i've learned over the years where i get my inspiration where i refresh myself is talking to other people and having these sort of cathartic conversations and uh, just having the the chance to engage and interact, and then there are other things which inspire me. I, I live in a, as you mentioned at the beginning, a beautiful village up on the moors above Manchester and Bolton. Where we live very very close to a reservoir, so I can actually go out there and have a lovely walk. It's two minutes away from where I live, so that's a way of getting some inspiration. And then another thing that I actually enjoy doing is listening to music. And I have my own favorite pieces of music that I will listen to, which, you know, is very, very varied. But I find them refreshing. And I can then feel uh, refreshed and engaged to be able to go out and do my stuff.
0: Tell us, share share one of your favorite pieces of music. Just one, just tell us. I'm curious.
1: I like uh, very esoteric but very melodic electronic music and um, I'll give you a few names of people you may have heard of them you may have not heard of them. Uh, Yanni is one of my favorites Um, then there are other Greek uh, keyboard players the big one is Vangelis but then there's Mm -hmm. Chris Spiris and there was a uh, an Englishman who lived in Holland. And unfortunately, I'm using it in the past tense. He died last month. Mm. His name is John Kerr, and his music is phenomenal. I oh. find it very, very refreshing. Uh, my wife doesn't like it at all. <laughs> of course <with> not. <laughs> no, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I, she says his tunes are very simplistic. Well, they're not. They're very deep. They're very layered. And I've said to her, well, it's not the, the the notes that's important. It's the space between the notes.
0: Oh, good one. That's very and, good. Uh,
1: unfortunately, she doesn't understand what I mean by that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is too funny. Well, this has been, you have just shared so much wisdom about emotional intelligence, Robin. I really appreciate this. Um, before we... End and 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 I want you to tell people like how they can get a hold of you if they want to sign up for training about with your EI for change. But uh, I like this you know communication is about you know having those conversations that we need to have and maybe we're a little bit afraid or nervous about a bringing up a certain topic. Like, what is your advice for someone who is uh, dreading a conversation?
1: I think the the best advice that I can give people is, first of all, go and have that conversation, but uh, approach it with a level of humility, and say to the person that you need to have that conversation with, "Is look, I'm scared. I don't want to have this conversation. Um, I feel it's important that we have this conversation. Please listen to me and help me. I'm asking you for help. And by having." that approach people are only too willing to want to help so even if you're having a very very difficult conversation by proceeding the conversation with something along those lines the words that work for you you're actually opening yourself up you're you're being humble in that person's presence and you're asking them to help you and they will be more than willing to and then afterwards you walk away from it and think I was I so worried about
0: oh so true I love never heard that um advice that's great you know hum, I guess here in America humility and business is just like what <laughs> but but that's a it's a it'd be a great un, unexpected tool there you know try some humility see what happens I love yeah. that so, Robin, if someone wants to bring training to their company or, or they want to improve their own emotional intelligence, uh, you have EI, the letters EI, the number for change.com, I believe is your uh, website. Is there any other way you would like people to reach out to
1: you? Uh, I have a very strong presence on social media. I'm, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. eiforchange.com mm-hmm. is the website. Contact me by email, robin at eiforchange.com. I'm more than happy to engage with anybody. I have a, well, the most comprehensive range of online courses based around emotional intelligence that are available. And they can be accessed through EI Change or if you want a website, it's courses.eiforchange.info. Go along and have a look at the web, that particular website. There is a free working with mindfulness course, and there is a free book, Developing Your Emotional Intelligence. I had to think about that. Uh, just go go along, help yourself. They are genuinely free of charge. If you like them, there are more courses there for you to take.
0: Well, I'll be sure to include that address in the show notes for this. Well, thank you so much, Robin. This has been so delightful, charming talk about emotional intelligence. I think we covered this. You know, it's a very rich, layered, textured topic, so many applications. And I like to give people practical things they can, you know, lead this conversation and go put into practice. So I thank you for that. And thank you, audience, for listening. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.